first uh, eight chapters of the book of Romans, Paul was explaining in great detail the gospel message of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. Now, why he was having to explain that so much, I'm going to give you a little bit of history, is because this was a new thing to the, to the people. Because remember, before Jesus, it was, it was the law. Everything was the law, and you had to keep the law to be holy. And there was a lot of rituals and regulations to keep the law. So Paul uses eight chapters to kind of explain, listen, it's, God, it's, a, it's a new day, it's changed. And so it's like trying to teach an old dog new tricks. And so, not for the Gentiles, you understand, because they were coming to salvation after Christ. These were everybody, a Gentile would be everybody who wasn't a Jew. And so they were accepting the message very readily because they didn't have all of these rules and regulations of the law. And so, so this first eight chapters, he's explaining in great detail the gospel message of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus now, and not all works. Okay? So much of what he had written in this section had been specifically addressed to his fellow Jews to show them why their Jewish heritage was insufficient to make them right with God. Because up until this point, it was all of you keeping the laws. All, and if you're just interested in the law, you can read Leviticus and any of the five books, the, Bible, the first five books, it's a lot. It was just a lot of stuff to keep up with. And the, the atonement offerings and the sin offerings, it was just a lot to keep up with. So now Paul's trying to explain to them this new way. So it was, so, he, so let me go back and read that. Much of what had been written in that section had been specifically addressed to his fellow Jews to show them why their Jewish heritage was insufficient to make them right with God, and why it is only through faith in Jesus that all, both Jews and Gentiles, can come to God. Let me just say this too. Also, if you know any of biblical history, remember that the Jews were God's chosen people, so the whole message of now the Gentiles can come to, to God through the same way that they can was almost, like, it was almost an insult to them. So now Paul's having to explain and try to convince them that, guys, this salvation message is now not only for you, but it's for everyone, which was a huge deal. So Paul had a lot of work to do. He had a lot. If you wonder why he wrote so many books, he had a lot to try to convince what was right, Okay. So after Paul ends the first section of this, his letter with this amazing claim that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, we're going to talk about that at the end of chapter 8, but before he can move on with what most people would consider the practical application portion of his letter, he first needs to address the question that is raised by what he has written so far, especially for his fellow Jews. So a lot of commentaries will say that chapters 1 through 8, then you have 9, 10, 11, would be like, Parentheses, and then verses 12. So a lot of people would pick like 1 through 8, chapters 1 through 8, and then pick up in chapter 12. Because it was almost like Paul had to pause and explain some things. Because I think probably there were some people who just weren't getting it. So he had to stop and say, let me explain this to you in plain writing. Okay, so you could you almost the whole tone even changes. So we're going to get into that in a minute. But the question that was being raised all the that, in spite of Paul's impassioned ministry and teaching, the reality is that there was very few Jews in the early church. So listen to that. In the early church, after Christ rose from the grave, okay, there was very few Jews in that church. Most of them were not persuaded that Jesus was the Messiah. And in light of the promises that God made in the Old Testament to bless his chosen people and to bless all the peoples of the earth through them, 
This brings a huge question that Paul had to stop and address. And here's the question. In light of the rejection of Jesus by the Jews, has God's purpose to bless the Jews failed? So, okay, think about this. If you were a Jew back then, back in this time, you had been raised on the law. And you had been raised to know that there was a Messiah coming, that he was going to save his people. At the time, they were under persecution. So they were looking for that Savior to come and rescue them from the persecution. Okay? And then here comes Jesus, who did not look like anything they thought he, he looked as, as average as they did. Me, he came from a family that was not, a, I mean, I don't know what sometimes we're looking for, right? <laughs> like, sometimes when we pray and ask God, I don't know what we're expecting. But normally what we're expecting is not how Jesus is going to show up. And so, because his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so, when he shows up like this, the Jews were the ones who had a hard time accepting that this was the Messiah. But even though a lot of what he did fulfilled Old Testament prophecy, they still had a hard time. And if you remember, it was the Jews who, who eventually crucified him. I mean, I guess the Roman soldiers, but it was the Jews who wanted him, you know, and they were even mocking him, calling him king of the Jews because he said he was the Messiah. And so it was just, okay, so now Paul's trying to, now the early church was getting it. They, this was the Gentiles, though. A lot of the Gentiles who was believing in this, they hadn't really been raised up in, for lack of a better word, or maybe the best word, religion, right? So their mind could focus on the new thing that was happening. And what is that just like us today? Like, we get so set in how church should be, and what should happen, and how Christians should act. And I'm not saying that, no, that's wrong. I'm just saying that sometimes we are not open for the new thing God's doing. Because I've said this plenty of times before, like, all of this Word of God, all everything in the Word here is God. But not all of God is in this Word. Like, we, we do know that He's bigger than the Bible. All of the Bible is about Him, but He's so much bigger than that. As a matter of fact, one scripture says if, all, if, if it was recorded, everything Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books to contain it, right? So we know that this, God is bigger than what we need to read here. But I'm just trying to paint a picture of what was happening. So Paul's talking to these, to the, to, to the Jews and Gentiles and the Romans, but he gets to this place where he's really having trouble getting some, for lack of a better word, hard-headed Jews to see. And actually, listen, I'm not going to judge the Jews because I can't. I was raised in church, okay? So for me, I, I tend to side with black and white. That's just my normal. If I'm going to side with something, I'm going to side with it's black or white. And a lot of things are like, or oh, a lot of things are like, so I tend to probably be more like the Jews. So if you're going to come with some crazy, some, and maybe it's not crazy, but if it's crazy to me that I've never heard and try to convince me, it's going to take a lot of convincing. But the Jews were going a step further than that because the Jews had become um, a little bit prejudiced in their, their ancestry, right? We're the chosen people. We're God's people. We keep the law. Like, we are born, we are born this way. Like, we're going to, this is how we were born into this, and this is what we're going to be. And so, honestly, if you want to know where, and there's a whole other teaching on that, but if you want to know really where prejudice began, it was between the Jews and the Gentiles, where that's where it all began, right? When one race thought they were better than another. Not to say the fact that God did not choose that race, but through Jesus, he made it available to everyone, right? Okay, so I'm just kind of setting the stage of what, what's happening here. So, the question is, in light of the rejection of Jesus by the Jews, 
has God's promise to bless the Jews fail? I think the better question was, so because the Jews rejected Jesus, is God going to be an NDA giver? That's what we would call it today, right? So he goes, back all his promises. Yes, and I would think probably that would have been a good question back then, because we had all these promises about the chosen people, and the chosen people rejected what we are now trying to say is the Messiah. So if he was the Messiah, and if the Jews, the chosen people, rejected him, what does that say for God being a promise breaker? Then now as a Gentile, how can I believe a God who's going to go back on his promises? That's, that's some serious stuff. So that's what Paul's addressing in chapters 9, 10, 11. So I'm like, Paul was better than me because I'd be like, that is, I don't have enough letters behind my last, behind my last name to try to explain to you in a doctorate thesis of what that really is really happening here, right? And so what Paul's he does, he tries. I think he does a good job with it too. So, so that's the question. And if, so let me read it again. In light of the rejection of Jesus by the Jews, has God's purpose to bless the Jews failed? And if his purpose for them has failed, how can we trust all and all the promises we've seen in the last few weeks in Romans chapter 8? How can we trust that all things work together for our good, or that nothing can separate us from the love of God? So let's just, let's just bring it down to today, 2019. Isn't there times where God has not performed the way we expected him to perform? And then we start really questioning, how can all things work together for the good? Right? Or can God really love us that much? Or So we, we question that too, just like they were. Well, it's, I have to laugh because, you know, after last week teaching on all things work together for the good, and we have to trust that even when we can't see it and we don't believe it, we have to trust that God is working all things together for the good, for his glory, right? And then Thursday we have the flood come. <laughs> and the whole fellowship hall building gets flooded. And I'm like, this is not really what I plan to do on Thursday. And, but, you know, so I said all day Thursday, all things work together for the good because we wanted to put new flooring down and we were kind of dragging our feet on it. And guess what? We were going to get new flooring in the, in the fellowship hall. So all things work together for the good, right? Could have been so much worse. It really wasn't that bad. But, you know, so it was kind of a pain, but it wasn't bad. And so all things do work together for the good. But as you can see, Paul just got finished with that great chapter 8 when nothing can separate us from the love of God, not angels or demons or, I mean, he goes into everything. Then he has to pause and says, okay, but I need to address something right here. Because I'm, there's these questions like, okay, so is God's promises still for the Jews? And if they're not, they surely can't be for the Gentiles too. So he's going to get into that in verse 1 through 5. Well, actually, all of chapter 9, but I'm going to do 1 through 5 tonight. So this, this question here applies to both Jews and Gentiles. If God broke his promise to the Jews, then how could anyone trust any of his promises? And if they couldn't trust his promises, then no one, Jews or Gentiles, could be assured of the security of their salvation. Paul spent eight chapters talking about that, salvation through Jesus. So Paul is going to go back to ancient biblical history and use the Jewish scriptures to prove that God's purpose for the Jews has not failed at all. But before he does that, which we'll get into probably next week, he wants his readers to understand his heart. So what Paul's doing here, and this is the verses on the proper tonight, is he's trying to explain his heart and his passion about what the message he's about to present, to the answer to this question, okay? So let's, from Donald, if we can put up uh, chapter 1, I mean, chapter 9, verses 1, I'm going to read 1 through 5 in the NIV, and I'm going to immediately read it in the message as soon as you're ready. So here we go. 
I speak the truth in Christ. This is Paul saying, I am not lying or conscious converted through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish, for I, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry, the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. And then let's go right to the message. At the same time, you need to know that I carry with me at all times a huge sorrow for an enormous pain deep within me, and I'm never free of it. I am not exaggerating. Christ and the Holy Spirit are my witnesses. It's the Israelites. If there were any way I could be cursed by the Messiah so that I could be blessed by him, I'd do it so that they could be blessed by him. I'd do it in a minute. They're my family. I grew up with them. They had everything going for them. Family, glory, covenants, revelation, worship, promises, to say nothing of being the race that produced the Messiah, the Christ who was God over everything, always, oh yes. Thank you for the note. These opening verses of chapter 9 reveal why Paul was such an effective evangelist. But even more relevant for us, they show us what it takes for us to be effective witnesses for Jesus and his gospel. Many Jews had claimed that Paul had abandoned his own people for the sake of the despised Gentiles. They had accused him of telling lies in his teaching. And while the accusations may be a bit different in our culture today, it is still true that people are skeptical of Christians and their motives. When I was studying this, I, I thought about this. Like, if you think about Paul's life, you know, he was Saul to begin with, and he was Jewish. He was born Jewish, and he was raised up with all the Jewish teachings and the scholars and knew it. And when he began to persecute Christians, it was because of this very thing. They were going against the teachings of, of the Jewish culture, because now the Messiah was coming in, and he no longer had So anyway, I, even before that, but... Well, not before that, but he knew it was coming. But he started, he was doing exactly what he was born to do, uphold the law. And when he had that road to Damascus experience and God changed everything for him, then he began not only persecuting Christians, but he began now being, being their biggest advocate. He was supporting what they were doing and even, you know, even leading the way, right? So the Jewish community now, if guys you can imagine, was not really happy with him. Because they felt like he had abandoned his Jewish ways and his Jewish culture, and that was a huge deal, right? And so when, when Paul starts, now he's trying to talk to, to the very people he grew up with, and his heart is hurting for them. Because this would be like the, the people that you know and love, the people that are closest to you and dearest to you, your people, your tribe. This is who Paul was hurting for. And so as he was writing these letters to Jews and Gentiles, he was getting opposition from his people. And so it was his people that his heart was hurting for. So he says, I'm going to just stop right here in the middle of this. And I'm just going to tell you, like, guys, I'm not lying. And he was very passionate about what he was saying, as we're going to talk about in a minute. So I just want us to look at, from these verses, five things that we today can do as, as Christians, because we, as Christians, sometimes people are very skeptical of us because there have been people, maybe even us, who've given Christianity a bad name. Paul, back then, was one of those, because he literally did a 180, you know? And so there was people who didn't trust him on both 
both sides. It was like, first of all, you were killing us, and now you want to be one of us. That was the Gentiles, and the Jews were like, hey, dude, like, you, you, were, you were doing everything you were supposed to do, and now you're doing the exact opposite. We, so there was nobody that he fit in with. And nobody, and so as he was writing all these letters and being passionate about what he believed in and going hard, I think I think Paul's personality was whatever he was believing in, he was going after, right? And so that's what he was doing here too. So it was taking some convincing, not for the Gentiles who were getting saved; they were they were they were believing it, right? But for the Jews, his people, his family, his heritage, his his legacy. I mean, this is people that left him a legacy of like this is what we got. This is what we were raised to do. Right? And so it was really hard for them. So as Christians today, we need to really be careful sometimes that we don't cause people to be skeptical of Christianity. And we do that, guys, by not living what we preach, by not being passionate about who we are and what we are, by not condemning, but having compassion. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And so Paul is going to, we're going to spend these five verses here as Paul's addressing really the Jews, but the Jews and Gentiles, but more the Jews. We're going to see, we're going to take five things from him, how to show others we care. He was trying to convince, especially his people, hey, I really do care, and I, I really, this is really real. Like, this is where I'm at, this is what I believe, and I want you to get it. So number one, it says, number one says, don't make it about me. So Paul began by, like, not, it's not about me. I'm not lying, guys. Like, that's the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is my witness, I'm not lying. It would have been really easy for Paul to make this all about him. After all, a lot of people who had once been his closest friends now despised him, and some were looking for ways to have him imprisoned or even killed. So no one could have really blamed Paul had he responded something like this. You know what? Fine, guys. If you don't want to put your faith in Jesus, that's up to you. Don't blame me when you realize that being Jewish is enough. I did my part. I told you about the need for faith in Jesus, but you wouldn't listen. Today it would be something like this. Well, I'm just going to unfriend him on Facebook. That's what it would be like today. And Paul could have said that. He could have been like, you know what? There's a whole world out there who need to hear about Jesus who's willing to accept it instead of the Jewish people. But he had a love for people. I, I mean, I'm going to say this, and so, I mean, don't quote me on this, but it was almost like he was saying, I have a love for the people who didn't love Jesus. That was their people, right? He had a love for that. So would it really be like saying he had a, he had a love for the people who were lost? Yeah, he had a love for the people who were lost, who believed in God, a God, their God, but not his son Jesus, which was the way of salvation at this point. And I can't really even say I blame the Jewish people. I mean, they had been so in, ingrained in this religion, how it's supposed to be, that they couldn't even really, I mean, it would be foreign to think of anything else. Like, it was so ingrained. And here's Paul, who was all about that. Saying, wait a minute, guys. I heard the voice of God. I had an experience that changed everything. You know, once you have an experience that changes everything, it should make us, like Paul, passionate about what we know to be real in our life. And passionate about that. And real is about love. In fact, I wanted to teach on that tonight. Love. The greatest weapon we have is love. But maybe another night. Because... Glory chapter 9 got my attention today, I don't know. <laughs> Just get back to it. But Paul doesn't ever treat those who oppose him as his enemies or focus on himself. Instead, he engages in the second way to show others how much he cares, how much he cares. So the first way, what he didn't make it about him. He didn't say, he 
could have went in and read his whole resume. Guys, I know the law, which Paul had done a couple times. But he didn't do that. He didn't, he didn't go in saying, guys, this is about me. I know the law. I have this experience. Listen to me. If he didn't make it about him at all. Right? So not make it about us. He kept the focus on Jesus. He kept the focus on his, on his passion and his purpose. Second thing. Second way to show others how much uh, we, he cared is he treats he treated them with compassion, not condemnation. It's the second thing. He didn't make it about him. He treated treated them with compassion, not condemnation. Notice how Paul refers to those who have been opposing him. He doesn't call them Jesus haters or Christ crucifiers. He calls them my brother, my family. And rather than condemning them, he reveals that his heart is breaking over their refusal to put their faith in Jesus. In typical Hebraic fashion, Paul uses two parallel thoughts in verse 2 to convey his heartbreak. So instead of, instead of saying, you know, hey, you guys, you guys crucified the Messiah. Like, you don't even realize what you did. Instead of saying that, what he did was say, you know what, God, you're my family. Like, I, I, my passion for you is real. So this is what he says. In the parallel, the parallel, he says this. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish. So he uses those words to like, because the way I feel about you, my family, is my heart is broke. And I want you to hear my heart on this, right? It's just a little bit better way than saying, you know, you are a Jesus hater. You crucified the Messiah. The one that we've been looking for for all these years, the one that we were taught in Sunday school as little kids, he was coming. You crucified. He, he could have been very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Self-righteous in that. You know, I think Paul could, could have never been self-righteous, actually, because he always remembered his past. He always remembered where he came from. He always remembered that it was an absolute miracle that God would even choose to use him. And he knew that without that Damascus Road experience, where God totally changed his identity, not just his name, but his identity, without that, he would be those people who was having a hard time accepting this message of salvation through Jesus, right? Because before this, it was the works through God. And now it was just salvation by faith. What is that, right? So Paul knew that. I think that helped with his compassion. One of the things that will help us with our compassion with others is to remember that we're all lost. And without the salvation of a Savior, we would be just like them. But I'm going to tell you, it's hard, probably hardest for me. Hardest for me to, to see somebody in a situation and not be like, well, I tried to help them. Oh, well. That's the hardest for me. Because I sometimes forget that, with, except for the mercy and grace of God, I could be that person. I could be the one who needs the help from somebody else they can't get my life together, right? And so Paul's saying, like, that's the second thing he's doing. He's like having compassion for them instead of condemnation. We can learn from that. We can learn to be Jesus to people and have compassion. So Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish. And this was the first time Paul had such deep compassion for others. In Acts 20, we're not going to go there, but when we read, if you read that, he said he had served the people of Ephesus with tears. Because there's no way we could have that kind of compassion without remembering. We sing that song, Amazing Love. That's one of my favorite songs because if you think about the love of God for you, it's nothing short of amazing. 
We have betrayed him. We have not done right by him. We have done everything he's done for us. And he still chooses to love us. God is some kind of an amazing love. And so Paul, right, he had an amazing love for these people, but it only came from the amazing love that he knew came from his whole transformation, his conversion. Okay. So, again, I'm not suggesting that we ignore or excuse sin. We, but we have to remember that we can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we expect our people to act like Christians, and they're not. I've had to tell myself this over the years because, you know, Pastor Mo was the one who, who had the, the huge conversion experience, right? I, I, I didn't. I mean, I've always appreciated my faith in Jesus, but I never really strayed from my faith. And so for me, I, I tend to be black and white. That's just, I tend to be like, I don't understand why you can't get it together because I, but God over the years has given me compassion for people and, let, and put me in situations to see people really trying, really struggling, and then just knowing that. Uh, you know, I would, tell, I would tell my girls on Teen Challenges all the time. I wish they were here tonight. I would say this all the time. Because, you know, you could look at my life and say, well, you've made some really good choices, and, and God's blessed you for that. And I tell them all the time, you, you understand I'm one choice away from blowing everything. Always. I'm always one choice away from walking out of my family. That's a choice. I'm one choice away from doing anything that could destroy my life. One choice. It's a daily choice every day. It's easy when you make that choice enough. It becomes easier. But we're all one choice away. And I think Paul, because of his convergent experience, realizes that it would be really easy to go back to that life of keeping the law. Honestly, for somebody like me, the law is easier to keep. Because I'm really good with the rules. Give me the rules. Okay, I've got to sacrifice this many doves, and it's, you know, this animal's without spots. Okay, I can, I'm really good with that, my personality type. Probably Paul was, too. But for somebody who's that, who, and like all of us, was almost impossible to keep the law, grace was amazing. So Paul's trying to explain to the people about grace, and he's trying to do it with compassion, like saying, God, I know what that's like. I've been there. So let's take it to us today. We have to remember that there are going to be people, our people, our tribe, who are not going to act like Christians because they're not. We have to love them with compassion and grace and not condemnation. And it's what Paul was trying to explain to, to the language to of Jews here. He was trying to explain that, guys, I love, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be compassionate because I know how you are. I'll learn you at one time. You know, so he was doing that. Is that good? Making sense? Okay. So there was a study done in 2007. I know it's a long time ago now. But th- there was a, a study that said 87% of young people, so this was people that were unlike, uh, what, 15 to 25, um, said that they considered Christians to be judgmental. 87% of young people considered Christians to be judgmental. That's probably a good indication that we are like that far too often than we need to be. And I'm not saying that all of us are like that, but. And we're going to talk a minute about the difference between truth and, because we've got to give people truth. And truth will a lot of times be um, taken as judgmental, but we have to make sure our hearts are with compassion and not judgmental. We are not the judge. And I have to tell myself that sometimes. I'm not the judge. And a lot of times in my own head, I want to be the judge. And I 
want to say who's right or wrong, and I want to say who's sinner or, or saved, and I want to say, you know, and I'm thinking, gosh, that is not my job. And sometimes it's exhausting, right? And so we have to remember, like, who we represent as Jesus needs to be really Jesus. And let Jesus do the judging and not let that be us doing the judging, right? And so when we treat others with condemnation rather than compassion, we are likely to push them away from the one person who can actually change their hearts and eventually change their behavior, and that's Jesus. And guys, this is, this is going to be as controversial as we talked last week on predestination, but I'm going to say this. I'm going to always err on the side of love. And it was funny that I was really leaning toward teaching on love as our greatest weapon we have against the enemy because it's the, the total opposite of him. And God took me to this. And, you know, this all of this right here is about love. Because we have to love people where they're at. And it, in my 45 years of living, I could be wrong because maybe I'm not as far down the road as some of you, I have found this. And if I make... If I show the love of Jesus, people are attracted to that. And then once they can trust me, then I can begin to reveal truth. But so many times we want to reveal truth without the love. And it becomes a big mess. And then we have all these people saying Christians are judgmental. And I don't even know if it's judgmental. We just try to get truth without love. Right? So we'll get to that in a minute. So that was number two. Treat us with compassion, not condemnation. Number three. Practice both love and truth. That was a good segue. Truth, okay, this was by Warren Worsby, so I think it's a good little statement here. Truth without love is brutality. Truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. So what is a fine balance there? Here in Romans 9, we see Paul practice both truth and love. He begins this chapter by reminding his readers that he is speaking the truth in Christ, and he reinforces that idea with two other claims. He is not lying, and his conscience is guided by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit bears witness that he has written so far in his letters that everything he's written was 100% truth. But as we have already seen, that truth is accompanied by his love and compassion for his fellow Jews. Of course he had to love them. I mean, this was his people. So we, there's a fine line, I think, in giving love and truth. And Paul's really trying to do that. Like, I need to give them the truth because what we have been taught all of our lives is now different because of Jesus. Not because things change in the law, but things change with Jesus who came to fulfill the law. So Paul's trying to do that. So he's trying to give them the truth, but he knows he has to do it with love. Because if you don't have love and truth together, you're going to get nowhere and you're going to end up being judgmental. I'm speaking from experience. So there's a fine line there. So, and, and you know what? All of this, guys, chapters 1 through 5, is talking about witnessing the people. Paul is trying to get his point across, and he's given us a pattern of how to do it. So he's saying, first of all, don't make it about you. Second of all, be compassionate and, and, and don't condemn. And third of all, guys, give them love and truth together, but make sure they go hand in hand. It's a fine balance of getting the two. It would be like, yeah, I'm not good in chemistry, but like, let's say you're going to mix something to make something. I don't, I don't have an example, but I'm just going to just use your imagination. So if I'm going to make something that's that's helpful, and I'm going to mix two things together. We talked last week about that, like you're mixing two things together that are not good to make table salt, right? There's probably the right proportion to do that. 
and it's a fine balance, and we don't want to get off balance. It's the same thing with truth and love. We have to make sure they balance really well to get that point across to people. Because, you know, <laughs> there, there are people who are very set in their ways. And then now we add social media to that, which is just really messed up a lot. It's been good and bad, you know, a blessing and a cursing. Because what happens is on social media, um, you know, we try to, there, there's both cons. There's, there's a con on social media who people who stay very neutral, which I think I tend to do that because I like to choose peace in my life. But if you look at my social media, I'm very clear on the things I stand for, right? And my social media, for, for, for my sake, is, is my business card for my health coaching page. Although, if you ever on my social media, you'll know something really very clear, that I love the Lord and I don't compromise it at all, right? But there are people on social media, Christians, and it may be you, and if it is, don't look at me, but there may be people on social media who use that as a platform for their views, and then want to condemn everybody who don't agree with them. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, people not agreeing with us, sometimes it's not good or bad. You know, we, we can agree. Mo makes a gumbo. I like my gumbo more like a stew. He likes it more like a gumbo. You know, he likes his thin. I like mine thick. Either way, we both like gumbo, right? So there may be some things that are just neutral. We start arguing about everything. And I, just so you know, not that I'm right about everything, but I'm just going to tell you how I handle that. Any time anybody is controversial on my page, I'm not talking about like the truth of God's word. I'm talking about, you know, if I say it's blue outside, and they're like, well, no, it's kind of green. Why are you saying it's blue? Or you delete. I just take it right off because I'm going to not have drama on my page or any of my social media stuff because I don't want to track that because there are always people. Don't, don't you think for a second the devil ain't using people to try to call you out on something. And so Paul, he didn't have social media, probably thank the Lord, back then, but he was having letters to the church where he was saying, hey, guys, this is what you need. And I'm quite sure we don't know the rest of the story, but he got called out a lot. But he was trying to season truth with love it's where he was being very loving and showing the love inside of God, but also the truth side, too. Like, the guys, this is, we got to, sometimes we got to change old mindsets. In the church today, we've been raised sometimes with these mindsets, and we can't get past that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to harp on anybody, but even with me who was raised in church, sometimes it's really hard to get past some things that we believe that honestly have nothing to do with real salvation. Cultures, traditions. Now, sometimes there are things that, that, that we do and we have to seek the word of God. You see how truth and love is just so important now? Okay, i got to get through the rest of this. Number four, be willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. Be willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. In verse three, Paul makes a remarkable claim. For I could wish that myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sakes of my brothers. I had to laugh when I read that today. I'm like, Paul and like Tommy. Dramatic and theatrical. Like, I will just take myself away from, from Christ himself if we make, you know. But he was trying to make a point, but I had to laugh at that. I was like, he's being very dramatic there. Oh, he did. So I said, so listen, before we consider the statement further, we need to first be clear that this is an emotional statement, not a theological statement. Paul would never have given up Christ. But what he was trying to say in his, in his dramatic statement was, to get his point across, I would give up the very thing that's dearest to me for you to give it. The thing that is dearest to me, for you to get it. And for us today, sometimes it's going to require us to give up things that are dearest to us, like our time. That's my thing for people. Like our talents. Like our money. Like our service. And sometimes we're going to have to be a little bit dramatic and theatrical 
to help people get the point across, like, I will give you my life, you know? And that's what Paul was doing. He was trying to get his point across by very strong, dramatic statement there. And so what, we, what will we do for that? He has already made it clear that he will continue to do so for the rest of the letter, that salvation comes through faith in Jesus alone. So here's what Paul is essentially saying in his statement. If it were possible, I would give up my own salvation and be eternally separated from God in order for all of my Jewish brothers and sisters to be saved. In other words, Paul was willing to sacrifice that which was most valuable to him so that others could experience a personal relationship with God through faith in Christ. He wasn't trying to be like Jesus, but he was saying, listen, God loved us enough to send his son. He gave up the very best for us so that we could get it. That's why in the verse before that he says there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God because God that gave everything for that, so nothing can separate us now. And Paul was just trying to make a point that I believe in this so strong, I'm willing to give up the very thing that would be the most important thing to me for you guys to get it. Because I want you to have it. Like, don't we do that for our kids? Guys, I'm sacrificing. I'm going to tell you, the kids are sucking me dry with these camps, these football camps. And I'm like, but yet I don't I want the best for my kids, right? I'm willing to sacrifice and do what I need to do to get the best for my kids, to get them, to give them their dreams. Paul saying he loved, this is his people. Paul wasn't married with kids. These were his kids. These were his spiritual kids. He's like, guys, I would do anything. I would give up anything so that you would get it. And that's what he was saying there. So, the fourth thing we need to do is be willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. Be willing to share. What would you be willing to sacrifice that a family member, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, even a complete stranger could hear the gospel? Your time, your pride, your position, your, your um, uncomfortableness. Like, you know, if the Lord told you to go up and, to Walmart and pray for somebody, you know, just what, what would you be willing to give up for that? And number five, don't assume. It's really easy for us to make assumptions about people's relationship with Jesus based on external factors that we can see. For instance, it would be easy to assume that just because you're here in church today, or because you grew up in a Christian family, or even because you are baptized and take part in communion, that you're a disciple of Jesus. But the danger of making those kind of assumptions is that they might keep us from sharing the gospel with someone that needs to hear it. That's why pastor every Sunday shares the gospel in a different way and then asks people to respond. We don't ever want to assume that someone is a genuine believer just because they've come to church consistently. Because we all know that. We all know that just, my, my boys say this because they heard it, like, just going to church doesn't make you a Christian. No more than going to McDonald's makes you a big man. I say that. You have to have a relationship with Jesus. Can you imagine how foreign that was to the Jews back then? What do you mean not going to the temple and reciting the, the law? By reciting the prophecies does it make me... Well, they wouldn't have said a Christian, but don't make me, you know, a believer in God. Like, what do you mean? This is what we've always done. We can't assume that, guys. We have to share the love in truth and love with everybody. In verses 4 and 5, Paul lists eight advantages that the people of Israel have when it comes to having a relationship with God. That was including the fact that the Messiah, Jesus, is from their lineage. But he also makes it clear here that those advantages alone don't make them right with God or earn an eternal life. We'll see next week, Paul is going to go on and on to explain to them why their lineage alone and the benefits that come with that are not adequate. Only faith in Jesus can provide the salvation they are seeking. So if we really care about others, we'll make sure that we don't cheat them when hearing the gospel because we make assumptions about their salvation. So I'm going to end it right here. Do we really care about those that God brought into our life? 
And if we don't care, we need to ask God to give us compassion. Because Paul, in these first five verses, have outlined to us how we need to, to present ourselves to people. And how we need to make it about them. And, and ask God to give us a love for people so that he, they can hear his gospel. You know, we, I, I've heard this all my life. I'm 45. Like, you know, the Lord can come any day now. And I'm, I'm thinking that's 45 years soon, quicker. That's 45 years sooner that he can come now. Like, it's 45 years done passing. I've been hearing that, right? So we never know. So we always want to make sure we have an opportunity who God sends to you. You know, pray. We can pray God sends someone to us. But even even beyond that, God, who have you already sent to me? Who are my people? Who am I, already, who am I talking to every day? Who's, what's going on in my life? You know, one of the very unique things I get to do is be a health coach. And all of my health clients are not Christians. But, they, but I don't ask them if they are when they sign up. But I treat them all like they are. So I pray with them. So now what happens is I'm counseling them. <laughs> Sometimes I have to tell them that they, you know, can't sleep with someone who's not their husband. Or, you know, and just things that I would think people would know. <laughs> they don't know. And we have to tell them. Listen, God will give you a platform, whatever that may be. Whoever you work with. There are people I work with. This would be like my job on the job training right here. These are people I work with every day. And sometimes people don't know. And I've, I've had the opportunity to lead people to the Lord over the bottom line I've never met. But they trust me because I've given them truth and love. First of all, they trust me with their health. And then once that happens, then they start trusting me with, with their life. And so whoever God sends to you, whatever way that is, be like Paul and give them the truth and love. But listen, above all, guys, be attractional. Let people want what you have. Be so full of Jesus that people can't help but be attracted to that. Is that good? Romans chapter 9. Boring. Not really. 